Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. 1 Kings chapter 19, it says this. I'm going to read out of the New Living. It says, so Elijah went and found Elisha. That's not confusing. Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. Everyone say, plowing a field. Just boring old plowing a field. Nothing exciting, nothing, you know, glamorous. Just plowing a field. And there were 12 teams of oxen in the field. And Elisha was plowing with the 12th. You know, it's interesting sometimes. I mean, the word of God is so vital. The word of God is so important. All We believe every word in here has power, don't we? Nothing's in here by mistake. It, it didn't just, you know, slip in there. How'd that get in there? God has intentionality behind everything. And sometimes the details that he includes is um, uh, just very interesting. And he's letting us know that Elisha, he's not just plowing the field, which is already boring and monotonous as it is. Back. I mean, behind the 12th team of oxen, he's at the very back. I mean, you're, you're as, uh, as low on the totem pole as you can possibly be uh, uh, back here. And so he is plowing the field with the 12th, field, uh, the 12th team of oxen plowing the field. And Elijah went over to him, Elijah the prophet, and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. And Elisha left the oxen standing there ran after Elijah and said to him, first, let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will go with you. So Elisha knows what's happening here. He, he recognizes what this moment means, what this symbolism of him throwing his cloak on him like that, what, what this uh, is indicative of. He recognizes that there's a call here that's taking place, and it says, so Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. And he used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople. What, want, what once was designed as uh, getting a job done is now filling them, is now uh, feeding them. He passed around the meat to the townspeople and they all ate. Then he went with Elisha, or then he went with Elijah as his assistant. Now, you don't throw your cloak on somebody to assign an assistant. You throw your cloak on somebody to, to assign a successor. There's a difference between an assistant and a successor. Sometimes we confuse the process or the destination, and this is how God works in our lives, and we've seen this before through, you know, David, even through Jesus, through Paul, uh, that, you know, God will give you a vision or a picture of the end goal, and then, there, then he begins to take you on the journey or the process to achieve or arrive at the end goal, Okay. And so the last couple of weeks, we've kind of been talking, and honestly, when I got started into this and, and kind of, you know, started studying this out, feeling this was the direction I, I was going, I thought I was changing gears, but apparently I'm staying right on track with where we've been the last couple of weeks. We've been talking about endurance, when talking about uh, running our race to finish, not just running our race to uh, get to the end of something, but to finish well, finish strong. And, uh, you know, we're in the last days of the last days. I mean, I don't know about you, but we're closer to the last days than anybody else ever has been, right? And so, uh, you know, you, you can say that as much as you want, but we're continually moving towards the end of this thing. And I just want to uh, have a stirred up passion for finishing well, driving on with the things of God. And, um, you know, that's not necessarily the natural progression of life, you know, we, we tend to want to uh, relocate and, and move from here to there. And, uh, you know, we, we don't ever just give God time to plant us and to work us and to really sell out to the vision and sell out to the purpose that he has for our lives. And so we were looking at this 
and um, just kind of want to take us on a journey of how we move from discovering the call of God for our life to actually fulfilling the call of God, right? There's a difference between discovering the call and fulfilling the call. There's a difference between realizing or recognizing the call and then living that out and actually seeing that come to pass. And so here we have an example of a man, again, Elijah with a J, he's a prophet. He's a prophet of God. He's been operating as a prophet of God. He's been operating uh, in the office of the prophet. The prophet is the, the mouthpiece, if you will, or the spokesperson for God. They didn't have <clears throat> preachers and teachers in the Old Testament, but God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, would come upon three types of individuals in the Old Testament. Prophets. Prophets was one of those offices. Kings was another office uh, that God operated through, spoke through, uh, his spirit came upon. And so these individuals were used by God. Remember in the Old Testament, they're separated from God. The Old Testament, because of sin, Jesus has not yet arrived. Jesus has not yet come, died on the cross and brought that unity and that purpose back to mankind. And so uh, God had to go through certain channels and certain avenues. Thank God we have the Holy Spirit living in us today. Anybody thankful that the Holy Spirit lives in you and you don't have to go to someone and tell them all about your sins and all your mess ups and screw ups, but you have an opportunity to go straight to the throne room of God, the throne of grace. We can boldly approach the throne of grace. The Bible says the veil has been torn in half. The veil has been cut. And now God wants to commune and speak directly to you. He wants to reveal his purpose and his plan. So Elijah's operating in the office of the prophet. And now God uh, is moving him. If you read before this, a story that we have read before where Elijah kind of got, you know, really down in the dumps. You know, doing the work of God uh, can uh, uh, sometimes move your flesh towards anxiety and move your flesh towards wanting to quit. And Elijah uh, found himself in a position where he wanted to quit. The queen Jezebel put out an order that she's going to have his head. She's going to kill him just like he killed the prophets of Baal uh, that he did in uh, you know, chapter 17 and 18, if you read prior. And so God has just revealed himself to Elijah and says, you're not the only one. I've got a remnant of people that are sitting back that are not bowing down to the prophets of Baal, and they're going to be able to fulfill. Now get up and go find the next person. That's the word that came to Elijah. So now Elijah goes on this hunt and obviously by the spirit of God is led to Elisha and he finds Elisha doing what? Plowing a field. So a lot of times, you know, we have a a very incorrect idea or a very incorrect picture of who God is desiring to use to fulfill his plan and his purpose. And usually one of the first things we do is we write off our ability to fulfill his purpose because the plan seems so great. I mean, what in the world does a shepherd boy have any business doing in a throne room, in a palace, on a throne, leading and, and, and governing God's people? What preparation does he have naturally? What, what abilities and skills? What proficiency? What competency? What talents and abilities? What qualifies a shepherd boy to lead the people of God? What qualifies a murderer of Christians to become a pioneer of uh, uh, Amen, in, in Saul becoming Paul? What qualifies a, 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 a farmer and someone out? Think about the field behind a yoke of oxen just plowing a dirty, nasty field. I mean, think about this job. Think about this assignment. Think about this role. And so that's the first thing we do is we start evaluating and assessing in our minds, in ourselves, kind of like Moses. Remember when God called Moses at the burning bush? 
And Moses' first response wasn't, God, I've been waiting for you to pick me. I've been waiting for this goal. I've been waiting for this. Let me tell you something. A lot of us are on our hands and knees crying out, God, what do you want me to do? God, where where do you want me to be? But if he really truly showed you everything you would accomplish and everything he wants to do through your life, it would scare you and you would go in the opposite direction. I was just encouraging someone just a few weeks ago, just talking about calling and, 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 and recognizing, you know, when do you know you're called and how do you know that you're called and, and how do you know that, you know, what God wants you to do. And, and, and so I told them, well, there's two, there's two different scenarios in our life. There's the calling of God on your life. And then there's the entering of the call of God. That's two different times. The moment I knew I was called to be a pastor, I was not ready to be a pastor. God will show you what you're going to do before you're ever ready to do it. God will will place a burden on your heart or start to give you a direction or start to reveal what you're going to fulfill and how you're going to fulfill it way before you're ever qualified to do it. You've heard us say this before. God uh, doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Come on, we've heard that before. You probably got on your refrigerator by now. Make a license plate or bump a sticker out of it. God doesn't call the qualified. God isn't roaming the earth looking for people that have skill sets and talents and abilities. He's looking for people that have hearts and attitudes and faithfulness and responsibilities. What is exciting about what Elisha is doing? What on earth tells God this is the man I need to be the next prophet of Israel. This is the next mouthpiece. This is the next uh, person I'm gonna choose to be responsible for speaking my order, my direction, my standards to my people. What on earth does plowing a field have to do with being a prophet? Plowing and being a prophet are, are opposite ends of the spectrum. And so we can all play this game, so to speak, with God. We can all be Moses that says, uh, but, but God, I don't speak very well. But God, uh, uh, I, you can't go back to Egypt. But God, I did this and I did that. Any of us could easily ride, us, ride ourselves off from the will of God. You can talk to anybody that has fulfilled anything great for God done anything great for God and, and, and nowhere in and of themselves, if they're truly humble and they truly recognize that it was God working through them, will they ever take the credit for what that God has accomplished through their life? In fact, most of them would tell you, I don't have any business in this role. If I can just be transparent with you, and I was just encouraging someone with this a few weeks ago, you know, I've known all my life, uh, basically since I was about four or five, that I wanted to be a pastor, that I recognized the call in my life. And then as I grew older, others began to confirm that call. That's very important because many times we think we're called to something, but if nobody else can see, it might not be a very good indicator. Well, but God called me. Are you sure? Are you sure? Now, I'm not saying again that you have to have the skill set, but you've got to see some application. You've got to see some fruit of that. You've got to see some things begin to develop. But all my life, I've, I've, I've you know, known that this is what I wanted to do. This is what I wanted to be. And as I grew older, it only became more and more confirmed. But let me tell you something. I've been more unsure of my calling in the last 18 months of pastoring this church than I ever was as a five-year-old, 10-year-old, 18-year-old, 21-year-old graduating Bible school, the 24-year-old serving faithfully at another church. That Entering the call, being in the role, being in the gifting, being in the assignment does not make you feel any better. If anything, it makes you feel more inadequate than you ever did before. Just being transparent with you. Now, I'm not insecure, and I'm not lacking confidence, but my confidence is in him. But the larger this church grows and the more that our influence grows, the less I feel like I'm the person for the job, if I could just be honest with you. And that's the way the call of God works. That's the way the assignment of, because it's not my call. I didn't put myself here. Man didn't put me here. God did. And if man didn't put you there, man can't take you out. The only one that can pull you out of the gift and the call and the assignment that God has for your life is God or you through disqualification. You can remove yourself, but nobody else has that 
uh, uh, ability to speak that or dictate at that over your life. Amen. And so this call and this assignment is coming from God, not just from Elijah, but Elijah's being led by the Spirit to find the next successor because that's what God told him to do in the previous verses. Now go find the next person. So he goes through, he finds a man plowing a field. The first thing I want us to see is that uh, Elisha is not doing something glamorous. He's doing something monotonous. Elisha is not doing something glamorous. He's not doing something exciting. The will of God becomes revealed to your life by you doing what you're doing. If I can make that, I, I don't know how to make that any plainer. But the will of God is revealed in your life and through your life and to your life as you continue to be faithful with what you are responsible with. Be faithful right where you're at. This is where it starts. Elisha's not on his hands and knees crying out to God, God, I want to be a prophet. God, I want to be a a man of God. God, I want to do this assignment. No, he is just being faithful with what he's doing. And we can't detach our current assignment from our future assignment. They're connected. I've had people tell me, well, you know, I'm just a stay-at-home mom, but I know that that God has a plan. No, how you are uh, operating yourself right now in that role today is setting you up for what God wants to do with you next. The first point I have for you is this. Consistency is a key component in realizing the will of God. Consistency is a key component. And can I tell you that, that that's why consistency is becoming such a lacking factor, especially in our young people today. Especially in our young people. And I'm not trying to divide between young people and, and older people, but it, it's just easy. The generation before us, before my generation, and even the generation before that, knew how to remain consistent with something, knew how to stick something out. Let me tell you, there's nothing that's going to grow in your life without consistency. Marriages don't grow without consistency. You don't get promoted in a job without consistency. You don't stay in shape without consistency. Come on. Consistency is the bedrock of anything that you want to see become uh, productive or fruitful in your life. It demands consistency. Not wishy-washy. Not not up one day, down the next. Just doing what seems routine, just doing what seems familiar. We talked about that this past week, that Jesus, you know, went to his hometown and they disregarded what was familiar. But if they would have just seen that even though we saw you in diapers, even though we grew up with you, even though you built our furniture, there's something on your life. We cannot become familiar with the routine, but we have to become consistent with the routine. Does that make sense? I gotta do it consistently. Not just when I feel it, not just when it yields the results that I want. I mean, he's out here plowing a field. Nothing exciting about this. Nothing glamorous. It's boring work. It's tiresome work. It's stinky work. I mean, think about it. He's out in the hot sun behind 12 yoke of oxen. You think they smell good? You think that's an, you think that's an attractive job? You think that, that people wake up, you know, uh, what do you want to be when you grow up, little Timmy? I want to plow 12 yoke of oxen. That's what I want to do in my life. No. Nothing glamorous about it. But he's being consistent with it. It's interesting, you know, how we go through life. And there's always this fight. There's always this desire, and it grows more and more even in, in, in our day and age where we always want to be somewhere else doing something else. You ever notice that? Young people want to be old, and old people want to be young. Come on now. Tall people want to be short. Short people want to be tall. You know what? We are so busy desiring what someone else is and we don't realize that they're desiring what we have. 
Someone is desiring, uh, man, I just wish I had work. And the other one's saying, I wish I had time to not work. Come on now. And so we have to resist this urge to always be looking somewhere else or looking to do something else because God is wanting to choose you and God is wanting to uh, uh, put his gifting and his calling and, and, and move you towards the assignment on your life, starting with where you're at right now. And we always think that the starting line's way out there. What, how would you live your life differently starting tomorrow if you realized the starting line was actually back there? And you're actually already in the race. I think we would all live a little bit different. I think we would all live a little bit different if we realized the starting line's not up there. Okay, when I get that, when I make that amount of money, when I achieve that level of success, when I get that degree, uh, when I get that level of influence, when I marry that person, when I have the, and we always put the starting line out there. How would we live different tomorrow if we realized the starting line was here and we've already gotten to here and we haven't made the amount of progress that we ought to because we've been wasting our time thinking it's out there. But if you realize that you're already running the race now, I bet you we would live with a different sense of urgency. We would, we would handle what we have in our hands differently today. Because here's the rule, and you've heard us say it before. While we are looking for what's next, we tend to abandon what's now. While we are looking for what is ahead of us, we tend to abandon what we're already responsible for now. Are you being faithful with what you are responsible for? Is the question. Are you being faithful with the marriage you have now? Are you being faithful with the amount of finance you have now? Are you being faithful with the children you have now? Are you being faithful with the role at your job now? We always, we, and, and, and as soon as we achieve one level, we immediately start looking to the next. Now, I know it's important to live with vision. I know it's not, uh, we don't want to get stuck in what is seen and where we're at. But the, the, but the problem is, is while we are having this great, oh God, when our church gets this size, we'll do this. I mean, many of our people that have been here from day one, remember how we operated our church when we only had 20 people. We didn't operate it much different than we do today, to be honest with you. Why? Because we believed and prayed for and saw you, even though you weren't in our church yet. And so we began to be faithful with what we had at that level, preparing us for the next level. But we didn't say, well, when we get 200 people, we'll implement this. And I remember a lot of our leaders were like, why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? Why are we implementing this? Seems silly. Seems silly to do some of the things that we did early on. Why? Because we're being faithful with what we have now. I've always preached as if there were a thousand people in the room, and I don't care if I had two people sitting on this seat. And I'm not exaggerating that either. There was one service. Jimmy and Nikki are right back there. There was one service. They were literally the only ones in attendance beside the Bradys. That literally happened on a Wednesday night. So I preached right here, recorded it. If you were listening to it, you had no idea there's only two people sitting on, in the entire building. And if I'm not mistaken, Gracie and Lexi and Camden were in the back probably doing something, like in the back of the room. Like we weren't even in a kid's classroom at that point. I think it was like a Thanksgiving service or something and you know, everyone's out of town. Or I ran them off that Sunday before and Jimmy and Nikki were the only crazy ones that decided to come back. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, but we treat every level. I mean, what would you do? Or let's do it this way. How would you fulfill the roles and the assignments you have today if that was what you were gonna do for the rest of your life? Sweep floors as if I was called to sweep floors. Clean toilets as if that's my assignment for the rest of life is to clean toilets. That's, that's what I'm called to do. Just something to think about. Because we want to develop this consistency. We want to develop this uh, uh, level of faithfulness with what we're responsible with 
so that God can continue to promote us and fulfill his work and we can endure to the end. So while we're looking for what's next, we tend to abandon what's now. You've seen this before in Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 15. This is the story of the parable of the talents. And a master goes off to a far country, a far land, and he gives uh, to three different individuals, he gives them talents. He gives them uh, uh, something to care for, to steward over. And that's where we're all at. Everybody in this room has a talent, and I'm not just talking about talent, skills, abilities, gifts. I'm talking about something to steward over and care for. Everybody in this room has something. And you might have to think long and hard. That's okay. You've got something. You've got influence somewhere. I heard someone say one time that you have no right to leave the earth until the earth knows why you were here. <laughs> Until I've made the level of impact that I'm influencing people around me and they are impacted by my life, I don't have any right or business to leave this place. That's pretty incredible. I'm not living for myself. I didn't come here to just say a prayer of lordship and, and, and get, you know, get Jesus to save me from hell and get me into heaven and then just punch my ticket and wait for the rapture to come. That's not why I exist. I exist for influence. I exist to make impact around me. And I have no right to leave here until the people that I'm called to influence are impacted by my life. Amen. Well, in Matthew chapter 25, verse 15, he gives these talents to these individuals. It says this, he gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last. Now you notice there's different denominations there. Five, two, and one. Dividing it in proportion to what? Their abilities. Their abilities. The master wasn't sitting back and saying, oh, you know, I want to give this guy five. I don't really like this guy over here, so I'm just going to give him. He gave to them according to what they could handle. How did he know that? They proved it to him. As you know, right now with the life you're living, you are proving to God what you can handle. Not only will he not give you more, he can't give you more. God cannot put in your hands more than he knows you're able to handle. More than you have proven to him, you'll be faithful with. And so we're, we become unfaithful with one, but we cry out to God for two. But yet he looks back at our track record and says, okay, but here's what I, the problem I'm having is you got one in your care right now, but you're abandoning that, you're disregarding that, you're compromising that, but you're crying out to me for two. Come on, we can't do this. It's a kingdom principle. You cannot override this. We cannot deflect this. There's no short, God's like, oh, okay, I feel bad for you. So here, because he, he, he knows if you'll squander one, you'll squander two. If you'll be unfaithful with one, what in the world makes him think you'll be unfaithful or you'll be faithful with more? And in fact, that's what he ends up telling the servants later on. You were faithful with little, now you'll be made ruler over more, ruler over much. That's what he told the one with the five and the two. The one with the five went and came back with five more. The one with two came back with two more. The one with one buried it in the ground. So guess what? He didn't get more. That's all right, let's try it again. But this time I'll give you a couple more. Maybe if you realize that I have more value on your life, and maybe if, you know, I'm sorry, I only gave you one. Let's start out with two. No, he just took away the one he had. He says, if you won't even be faithful with what you have, even that will be taken away. So we've got to recognize that our faithfulness, our responsibility, what we're handling today is showing God, proving to God what we're capable of handling tomorrow. So I, my, the, the will of God uh, doesn't get revealed to me by me disregarding where I'm at and saying this is below me or this isn't enough or I don't wanna deal with this, but if I had this, God, I would serve you. People say that. I've had people tell me. And it's always, it's always the ones that don't tithe that say if I had a million dollars, if I won the lottery, 
I've never had a tither say that because they wouldn't have to tell me that because they would show me by their track record that by whatever they have in their care, they're going to tithe off of it, not just when it's convenient, not just when it's comfortable, not just when it makes sense, not when they've got all their bills taken care of and now they've got my tithe left. The tithe comes out first and they're believing God to get the bills paid. Those people never have to come to me and say, Pastor, if I won the lottery, I know you would. I, I know that. But it's always one, Pastor, oh man, if I had a million dollars, I'd I'd give, I'd, I'd help you meet this project. Well, just start with 10. Show God what you would do with $10. And maybe through that, God will say, now I can put more in their care. Now I can put more in their hand. You with me? So we gotta be faithful with what we have now. We've seen that consistency is a key component in realizing the will of God. While we are looking for what's next, we tend to abandon what's now. I wanna give you three categories that we tend to put our assignments in. Three different categories or three groupings of categories. I don't know how to whatever header you want to put on there. Three categories that we tend to put our assignments in. Our assignments. What's, what are you assigned? What has been assigned to you today? That's where you start naming your kids. That's where you start naming your spouse. That's where you start naming your job. I don't, I don't care where you are. I don't care if you work at McDonald's. I don't care if you're the CEO of a, a Fortune 500 company. It doesn't matter. What are you responsible for today? Are you, be, are you being faithful with what you are responsible for? What is your assignment? And there's three uh, different groups of categories that we tend to categorize our assignments in. Category number one, it's either in the I have to category or the I get to category. Your assignment today, is it an I have to or is it an I get to? And what I have found out is usually what we're doing today, even what you might be tired of today, you prayed for at one point. You believed God for at one point. You say, God, if, I, if you could just get me that job at Walgreens, I'll, I'll, I, I just need something, God. I just, you know, if you would just give me, you just give me that, that base level job, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. And so usually what happens is what we prayed for one day becomes our complaint the next. We started out, I get to. I get to means energy. I get to means passion. I get to means urgency. But I have to means tedious, tiring. It means I complain about it. We complain about what we have to do, but we used to be excited about getting to do that same role. It's not the role, it's us. It's not the assignment, it's us. And so, what category is it in? Is it in the I have to or the I get to? In Hebrews chapter 12, Jesus shows this to us. You know, Jesus could have taken on a I have to, I have to go to the cross. I have to save mankind. Sorry, measly, little mankind. What would they do without me? I have to do this. No, he didn't have to. He was sent by God. We didn't have to. But Hebrews chapter 12 and verse one in the uh, New Living translation Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Why? Because we need to run with what? Endurance, the race God has set before us. And then he gives us an example, verse two. We do this by keeping our eyes on 
Jesus. Jesus as our example, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him. You see this? Because of the joy awaiting him endured the cross. What was joyful about the cross? What was joyful about being humiliated? What was joyful about having nails thrown, th- uh, driven through your hands and through your feet? What was joyful about stripes on your back? What was joyful about being called a sinner when you are the only one on the face of the planet that's never sinned? What is joyful about enduring what he endured? No, but he didn't do it with a I have to. There was a joy that was in him even even with the stuff that wasn't joyful. See, I mean, we all, we all end up in this scenario. What we get to do one day becomes what we have to do the next day. And, and it's only because our joy wanes, the joy of the Lord is your strength, our joy wanes, the urgency and the passion, we forget why we're doing it and we start focusing on what we're doing, which is dangerous. Can I tell you, even for me as a pastor, I have to remember why I do what I do and not just what I do. Yeah, I've got to keep my joy up. I've got to maintain my urgency. I've got to maintain my passion. And, 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 and you've all heard this before. Do it today like you, were, like you were excited to do it on the first day. Come on, you remember when you, when you showed up to that job on the first day, you were 10 minutes early sitting in the parking lot waiting for them to show up. You're excited, you're attentive, you're listening, and then over time, somewhere over time, now we're barely making it to work on time. Now we don't have the same drive and passion. We start looking at the watch. You remember that first day of work, it was like, oh man, it's time to go, look at that. Now it's like, oh my God, it's only lunchtime. I feel like I've been here all day already. Anybody with me? It's lunchtime on Monday. Isn't it Friday yet? You got a long way to go, buddy. Yeah, because that urgency, that passion, that drive begins to wane. Guys, we have to keep that filled up. That doesn't stay there automatically. No, you got to keep that burning passion, that burning does that Jesus with the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame. What would you, what are you willing to disregard that might be shameful in what you're doing to remember that I need to fulfill this with urgency and fulfill this with passion? So I'll disregard how my boss treats me. I'll disregard the level of pay I'm at. I'll disregard that they've overlooked me time and time again for that promotion. I'll disregard how he treats me. I'll disregard how these kids react to me and I'll remember why I'm doing what I'm doing. What are you willing to disregard? What are you willing to set aside and say, that will not deter my purpose, that will not deter my urgency, that will not deter my passion? Yeah, he disregarded the shame because he knew why he was doing what he's doing. And he says, I don't have to go to the cross. I get to go to the cross because the joy on the other side is seeing sons and daughters like me fulfilling and advancing the kingdom of God and restoring the kingdom in the earth. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Verse three says, think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people, then you won't become weary and give up. Then you won't become weary and give up. Let me tell you right now, anything that you do because you have to, you eventually won't do. Anything you do because you have to do it, you eventually won't do it. Eventually, you'll disregard the assignment because you focus on the shame. But Jesus disregarded the shame because he was focused on the assignment. Do I have to do it or do I get to do it? Category number one. Category, uh, let me give you a question real quick. Each one of these categories has a question so you can determine in what category is your assignment? In what category is your role? The question that I have for this uh, category is this. Do I have the same energy and passion I had when I first began? 
Do I have the same energy and passion I had when I first began? You gotta know what category you're, you're, you've put your role in, you've put your assignment in. You've gotta know what category. Am I in the I have to or am I in, am I in the I get to? Do I have to parent these kids or do I get to parent these kids? Do I have to be married to this person? Do I get to be married to this person? Do I have to go to that job? Do I get to go to that job? The question is, do I have the same energy and passion I had when I first began? It's gonna be some inward reflection here. It's nobody else's responsibility but yours to endure and finish strong, amen? Do I have the same energy and passion I had when I first began? Category number two. Category number two, is it concept or reality? Is my assignment, have I treated it in a concept or reality? There's a difference because in concept, there's one thing we tend to forget. I mean, we love to think of things and conceptualize things. We love to conceptualize what our marriage is gonna be like before we're ever married. We love to conceptualize what parenting is going to be like before we ever have kids. And in fact, we'll tell others how to parent their kids. <laughs> yeah. We conceptualize what it's going to be like to start that business. And all the customers that are going to come in. And all the products we're going to make. And all the sales we're going to make. And the online influence. And we're going to have this store. We're going to have this store. We're going to have this money. We're going to have this account. We're going to do this. But there's a difference between concept and reality. Usually when we conceptualize stuff, we don't conceptualize challenges. We usually don't think about what can break. We usually don't think about how that person might not treat me the way I want to be treated. We usually don't think about when the bosses continually overlook us for the same promotion that we've been faithful to do what we're supposed to do and we're well qualified for. We don't concept. Nobody sits at home and says, man, I can't wait till I get that job and have that boss that talks to me horribly and have those co-workers that talk behind me. I mean, that's just going to be so awesome. Nobody does that. And so sometimes what happens is we conceptualize a dream. We think about it before we ever enter it, but then reality shows up. Then reality shows up. And what does reality do? Reality brings challenges. Reality brings problems. Reality brings issues. I didn't know this was gonna be this hard. I didn't, you know, we conceptualize having a large bank account, but you don't think about the problems that come with a large bank account, being responsible for that. You don't conceptualize those things. And so reality starts to, 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 to set in. Reality can deter us. In Mark chapter four, Mark chapter four, in verse 16, this is the parable of the sower. And in the Amplified, it reads this way. In a similar way, these in the second group are the ones on whom seed was sown on rocky ground, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. See, you might have received the assignment or the call of God in your life with joy immediately. Man, at first, oh man, I can't believe they're selecting me for this. At first, it's, man, I can't believe I get to do this. At first, we have this, the, the concept mode and we receive it with joy and we're excited in the beginning. Immediately receive it with joy, but accept it only superficially. That's concept. Concept is always superficial stuff. Anybody watch the show Shark Tank? One of my favorite shows. Mark Cuban's one of my favorite ones on there because he's from Texas. And um, <laughs> Mark Cuban's one of my favorite ones on there because he gets past all the glamour and all the, uh, he, I mean, they all do that. That's why they're sharks. That's why they have what they have and do what they do. But he just, I mean, he will, Rain on your parade in two seconds. I mean, they're given this pitch. They've got the products. They've got the advertising. They've got the market. And look, when they're given that pitch, they're not coming to those sharks with the problems. 
Now, I want to tell you, this is a hard market to sell to. We're in a very small niche. It's hard to get off the ground. They don't come with all those things. They come with the concepts. And the sharks are the sharks sitting on the opposite side because they know that there's concept and there's reality. And I'm not investing in your company because of your concept. I want to know how you're going to face the reality of not turning a profit for another 24 months. I want to know how you're going to face the reality of having such a small market. I want to know how you're going to face the reality of having 15 other people uh, competing for what you're selling. I want to know how you're going to face the reality of not having it patented and anybody can copy what you're doing. That's what they come with is the reality versus their concept. And the ones that can answer those questions strongly that can show some fortitude to face challenges and to, 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 to ride through tough times. That's what, because here's the thing, guys, you're not committed until you're challenged. You're not really committed until you're challenged in anything in life. The word of God, your assignment, your role, you're not committed until you face challenges. We don't even know what we have in you until resistance shows up. How you respond when everything's going great, when your concept is going just according to plan, doesn't tell me anything about you. I want to know how you bounce back from trials. I want to know, do you have some persistence? I want to know, do you have some fortitude? I want to know, do you have some wherewithal? I want to know that you're going to stand even when everybody else leaves and everybody else abandons and everybody else gives up. Are you going to remain fixed? This is what it says. It was superficial and they have no real root in themselves. So they endure only for a little while. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, immediately they are offended and displeased at being associated with me and stumble and fall away. (laughs) Can't get any more real than that. Man, they received it with joy. Man, this is exciting. He's talking about people that come into the kingdom for what you can get. He's talking about people that come into the kingdom for the concept of following Jesus. But when the reality of uh, persecution shows up, when the reality of problems start to arise, when the reality of the trouble, it says the trouble came because of the word. That because I'm doing what God called me to do, I'm going to face resistance. Trouble and resistance is not always an indicator or a sign that you're doing something wrong. It's not always an indicator you're doing something right. You got to know the difference. That's part of following God. But sometimes it's the devil that wants to make you comfortable and it's God that wants to disrupt your stuff. And if we confuse the two, we will be greatly, greatly moved off of the will and purpose that God has for our life. Category number two, is it concept or is it reality? Am I living in the concept of this assignment as a mother, as a wife, as a husband, as a business owner, as an employee, or am I living in the reality of it? And the question I have, do I quit when it becomes difficult. That's the inward reflection. Do I quit when it becomes difficult? When I, do I quit when they don't get me? Do I quit when they challenge me? Do I quit when they correct me? Do I quit when I don't get my way? Do I quit when problems arise? Do I quit when it becomes difficult? Amen? Category number one, do I have to or do I get to? Category number two, is it concept or is it reality? And category number three, last one, is it routine or is it discipline? Is it routine or is it discipline? I want to tell you the difference between the two. Routine is when it becomes familiar. Routine is when it becomes easy. Routine is when you can do it without even thinking. There's no urgency, there's no tenacity, there's no drive. Now, the problem with routine, the confusing part about routine is results are still produced. 
results are still produced. But just because results are being produced doesn't mean you won't burn out from doing the role or the assignment. You know, burnout comes to busy people. Burnout happens to people that are busy. And you've heard us say before, one of the greatest mistakes of mankind is the fact that we're busy, but not effective. I don't wanna live my life just being busy. I wanna be effective. I wanna be purposeful. And we're talking about enduring. We're talking about finishing strong. So have, is my assignment, it, has it just become casual? It demands little effort. Doesn't mean that you're not putting forth any effort. Well, let me tell you something right now. You know, uh, uh, working out in the gym, lifting a certain weight. You know, when I first put 135, you know, on a bar and bench pressed it, at one point in my life, it demanded everything I had to get it up once. Demanded everything I had to get five reps. Demanded everything I had to squeeze out those last two to get to 10. Now I'm at a point, I can knock out 10 reps. No problem. I'm still putting forth the effort, but it doesn't require the strain and it doesn't require the same level of effort. And so what happens is, is when something starts to become casual, something starts to become easy, something starts to become a familiar routine, the result is still there. I'm still lifting the weight but it's not quite producing what it once produced before. I'm still seeing results. I can still say, man, I went to the gym today. Look at that. I, I'm so, I, I stayed with it. I stuck with it. I went to the gym and I, and I did this and I lifted this. But if it didn't require much effort from me, what have I really accomplished? On the other hand, discipline, discipline is when it demands drive and tenacity. Discipline means it, it demands drive and tenacity. That's not what I do, but it's how I do it. So what do I do? Once I reach a point where I can knock out three sets of 10 of 135, what do I do? Add more weight. Do I wanna continue to grow or do I plateau and I just level off? Because guess what? Let me tell you something. If I go into the gym and I can comfortably, easily, casually bust off that weight, I'm not really doing anything for myself. I'm not really, I might as well, sure, I mean, I'm going to the gym and, and, and I'm lifting weight, but am I going to continue to see the level of results that I once saw before? The answer is no. So what's the answer? Discipline means I'm always stretching myself to go to the next level. I'm always stretching myself to go to the next level. And guys, we can always go to the next level. We can go to the next level in our faithfulness. We can go to the next level in our love walk. When's the last time you challenged yourself in your love walk? I'm serious. Some of us have learned the people as Christians who to stay away from because they know, we know, it will test our love walk. And so we would rather not go there because I've learned how to walk in love with these people and I've gotten myself where I can walk in love with these people easy. I can forgive them, love them, show them the love of God. But we've also circled off a group of people that I can't get around them because that's another level that I haven't strengthened my love walk with. And so you'll never be able to press it <laughs> because you haven't stretched yourself to go to that next level. Where have you, when's the last time you challenged your giving? Financially. Some of us have the tithe down pat. I'm serious. There was a day when given 10%, man, it was straining, it was hard. But some of us, we've got that down on the regular. And this isn't a plea to get more finance, to get more money. Please hear me. It's where people wanna go. But God wants to stretch you in your giving, in your sowing. God wants to stretch you in your relationships. God is always wanting to stretch us, doesn't want us to remain casual at one level. 
I wrote this down. God gave me this. Where, let me find it. Product minus effort equals complacency. Product minus effort equals complacency. What's that mean? I'm getting the result even though it requires little effort from me and eventually I'll become complacent with that assignment. And guys, when we grow complacent with what we do, that's a dangerous place to be. Meaning that God wants to move us from faith to what? Faith. From glory to what? Glory. In fact, the Bible tells us that it uh, is, is impossible to please God without faith. Is what you're doing today, does it require faith? Does it require faith to give what you give? Does it require faith to do what you do? Does it require, because if it doesn't, God might not be getting any pleasure out of it. God's wanting to stretch us. God wasn't satisfied with the Israelites coming out of Egypt. He wanted them to get into the promised land. And he wanted to stretch their faith, not to just get them through a Red Sea, but to take down some walls. Not just to see God get water out of a rock, but for them to go fight some enemies, which required another level of urgency. You understand that was a different level of urgency that they needed in the promised land than they needed in the wilderness. In the wilderness, they just needed to cry out to God and he busted open a rock and water came out. But another level of urgency was coming on the other side in the promised land that you're gonna have to walk around a wall and believe it's gonna fall down and you're gonna keep silent for seven days. You're gonna have to fight some battles, literally using swords and spears and shields. I thank God for the miraculous. I thank God when God shows up and does things that nobody can do. But there's also times where I've got to put in some effort. I've got to put, and God's wanting to increase the level of effort that I'm putting in. God doesn't want me to stay where I'm at. Discipline demands intentionality. Galatians chapter six, verse nine says this. Galatians chapter six, verse nine. You've seen this verse in the New Living. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. Did you know you can get tired of even doing what is good? See, a lot of us, we confuse it. I'm tired of this, so I must need to move on to something else. No, keep at it. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Have you seen the concurrent theme through everything we've ministered tonight? Don't give up, press on, endure. Paul said, I press on toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I'm I'm not giving in, I'm not laying down. But then Paul also had to recognize when he had grown comfortable at a level and he needed to stretch himself to the next one. So here's the question, category number three, is it routine or is it discipline? Here's the question we need for inward reflection. When was the last time I challenged myself to go to the next level? When was the last time I challenged myself to go to the, you know, a lot of times we only go to the next level when it's demanded of us. When's the last time you challenged yourself? Not because your pastor said it, not because uh, uh, a boss said it. When's the last time you put in more effort than what was asked of or required of you? When's the last time you went above and beyond to prove to yourself you could do it? getting up earlier, going to work earlier, giving above and beyond, whatever that looks like. In every assignment, it's different. Every assignment. When was the last time I challenged myself to go to the next level? I wrote this thought down as well for this category, for routine or discipline. The less thought you give to your actions, the more routine you've become with your assignment. The less thought you give to your actions, the more routine you have become with your assignment. God doesn't want us to do anything out of routine. Again, consistency is needed, but what's the level of effort that you're giving to accomplish it? And guys, the product that God isn't looking for isn't what we can produce with our hands, but it's what is produced in our heart. 
We cannot confuse the two. Just because we're receiving results out here doesn't mean God is done working in here. So we've got to allow ourselves to be challenged. For all of us, what category is our assignment? Is it in the I have to category or the I get to category? Is it in the concept? We love the idea of it, but the reality, we push it away. Or have we become routine or disciplined? Am I living with urgency, working with urgency? Is it demanding something of me, something that I don't even know if I have? I'm, putting, I'm, I'm allowing God to build something in me that I didn't even know was there. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.